0: Dan Teasdale, what is your favorite game?
1: My favorite game is World Games. First, playing games, uh, technically earlier than when I was like five. Like I, I had a Spectrum and things like that, and I didn't. I remember them existing, but I don't remember playing games on them. But my first real game-capable computer was a Commodore Amiga, and this I got because it's kind of a kind of a long story. But uh, I grew up in Australia, and my grandparents lived in Papua New Guinea, which is the country above Australia. And uh, while my mom was working during school holidays, I'd go visit my grandparents and they'd take care of me. And uh, one time I visited them and uh, it was near my birthday and I got a, a bug catcher. And so my grandmother was like, hey, let's go, go and, uh, you know, catch some bugs with this. And we go catch some bugs and we walk straight into a nest of mosquitoes. And one of them, I only got two or three bites, but I remember very clearly one of them bit me on the back and like one on the arm. And then within about 48 hours, I started getting a fever. And so, like, I started like losing track of time and things like that. And it turns out I'd caught malaria, uh, and it was uh, cerebral malaria, which is like the the basically fifty fifty mortality chance uh, once you get this thing within seven days. Oh, Jesus. Uh, and it was uh, nineteen eighty five when this happened, so no no internet web MD kind of stuff. Uh, and so my grandmother uh, basically called. Uh, this, I mean, this is me sort of piecing together what happened, <laughs> kind of like ten, fifteen years later. Uh, but my my grandmother called uh a university in London and went, hey, my grandson just caught malaria. Uh, the 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 uh, doctor's important. Was we don't know what to do about this. What do I do? And so they basically sent through, you know, take these take these pills, get these medicine, take these every four hours um this crazy crazy medicine regime and so we got the so she picked up this medicine and tried to give it to me and it was absolutely disgusting like the most terrible tasting medicine you can ever have trying to feed a five-year-old so that they don't they don't die and uh, to get me to take it uh basically my mom and my grandmother were like if you do this we'll get you a computer when it's done and you can just sit and, re- and recover playing a computer like okay i can i can eat this medicine if it gets, means i get a cool computer at the end of it so Surprise! I recovered. I didn't die, uh, and uh, came back to Australia and went to get a computer. And there was a uh, there was a Mac Classic and an Amiga at this uh, department store, and the Amiga looked incredibly cool because it had you know the deluxe paints, uh, like you know, Egyptian artwork and stuff. And it's like, wow, this looks great compared to that black and white weird box thing. I'm going Amiga. Let's get the Amiga. And so we got the Amiga with uh, Arctic Fox and World Games, and. That's basically to blame for all of this. Essentially, is you know, me me playing Amiga games, getting new Amiga games, eventually getting uh, a NES, and kind of you kind of were like all oh, kickstarted my love of games from there.
0: So basically, doing anim- real life Animal Crossing that almost got you killed, got you an Amiga.
1: Exactly, I I only had to almost die to get into games.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at that because it was quite so serious, but. <laughs> Oh dear. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, go further on then. You mentioned the NES and SNES. Like like, what games are you playing around that period then?
1: Uh, so there's a uh, yeah, basically picked up the NES. And was like it's a lot of those kind of standard games that uh, like people state like when they're talking about those consoles, like Super Mario and got uh, you know, Super Nintendo. We picked up F Zero with that, which I loved a lot. Uh, being in Australia, we didn't really get a lot of JRPGs for some reason. Um, or if if they did, they weren't really like on shelves, and so like a lot of the, a lot of the same touchstones that I like my American friends have, like with you know, Final Fantasy or uh, or Earthbound, or like these kind of games, like I we didn't really have as touchstones uh, as much, and so like a lot of the games that we had were uh, were very much from like the, the you know the UK and European kind of eighties indie boom and things like that so it was like a lot quirkier and a lot uh a lot more uh i don't want to say fun because obviously all games are fun but like they're less serious uh games and so like uh, growing up like a lot of the a lot of the games i was playing were more more light-hearted i guess uh and that ba- that basically carried like all the way through to uh uh you know playstation games and n64 games and things like that and uh Basically, I realized uh, realized coming out of school uh, that I didn't want to do in, like information technology stuff. So, like, I want to I want to make games, and maybe that's a thing I can do. Mm.
0: Well, well, lead into that then. Like, how did how what got you first in the industry?
1: Uh, the first thing that got me in the industry uh, was I I went to the game develop game developers conference in '98, which was like the completely wrong order to do all of this stuff in but uh i had a friend i wanted to see in the us and i i needed an excuse to fly to the us and uh at the time it was like my uh my mother was my mother uh, still is a pilot but uh we had like staff travel discounts so it was like super cheap to fly from australia to the us for me which was incredibly awesome uh but i needed an excuse and there was this, this game developers conference going on in long beach at the time and uh, I, ha- I was like, "Hey, that seems like a a great thing." Like, I like games, and ma- games are things sound like you could make. Let me see what this thing is. And so, uh, I went over there, and it was kind of like this this eye opening experience of like, "Holy crap!" There's thousands of people who make video games, and there's game design is a thing, and you can learn and be a designer. And all these people are talking about their experiences making you know, these crazy games like Parappa and and things like that. And one of the people who were, like one of the groups of people who were there were uh, Oran Games, who was actually like super close to where I was living at the time in in Brisbane. And so I came back to, came back to Australia, like reinvigorated, like this is it. I don't want to make databases. I'm going to make video games. Everything's going to be great. And like shotgunned my resume with absolutely no applicable skills out to everyone. And uh, for some reason, Orad got back to me because they were looking for an assistant design position, and so I I went through like, hey, I love video games, I have no demonstrable skills. What what do you say? And like, nah, nah, we uh, we kind of need someone who can make video games at this video game company, and so they turned me down. And then I spent six months uh, past that point making Quake mods. I was like, okay, well, I, this is something I can do, and like, I can you know I can grab this example and change it around a little bit, and like copy the gun so it's in the left-hand and the right-hand side at the same time, and, like, do all of these, like, very, like, early kind of modding things, and reapply it, like, six months later. It was like, hey, I, I'm i still interested. Here is some examples of proof of work that I can I can make video games. And, uh... And against, against the smarter judgment, they they uh, pulled me on, which was awesome. So that was my, my first... I kind of got into the industry doing design from day one, which is, like, Unheard of, usually, but completely unheard of in the '90s as well, when uh, when game design was kind of a less—I uh, don't want to say respected, but like a less re- a less uh, established uh, craft uh, as a as a single job. And uh, that's that's kind of uh, where I got my start was working working at Oran Games with uh, Cam Brown, uh, who uh, went on to work on Mercenaries and, and games like that and uh basically i kind of learned the craft of design uh with him from oran like Oren was my first job and i was like basically thrown into the the literal deep end like learning game design uh and i was working initially on uh a game called corporation that was set in the distant future of 2015 and that was uh this it was an rts that way you would uh you would assemble robots together with and like you'd use that's right let me you'd assemble uh, like the the torso and the, the head and the legs of these robots and then you'd play an rts game with them uh and that didn't really take off and uh they were making another game at the time called han bloodline with uh, with ea which was meant to be at the time it was like this is what warcraft this is the warcraft 3 of rpg rts's kind of thing like before warcraft 3 came out and uh I don't want to say we didn't know what we were doing, but like there was all, there was, as, a, as a studio, it was a, I think it was like a 60 person studio, which was like big at the time. And, uh, they were building a new engine from scratch in the late nineties with a custom scripting system. And we were building levels in C++. And it was just, there, there was too, the ambition for the ambition for it was too big. And it was, it was essentially one of those things where it's just one of those projects that was constantly rolling and never really delivering anything. Uh, and So it was kind of, it was kind of good in a way because it, it taught me all of, it taught me a lot of uh, good things about game design, like things to avoid, and it also taught me a lot of lessons for uh, running a, like running a studio or running like with a team of people and like looking for warning signs of, hey, these people are unhappy or this is a bad path to go down or maybe, uh, like, there's just a, a lot of a lot of things that as a 19 year old kid. You never really taught about it in school like in terms of like dealing dealing with uh working in a workplace uh and so i kind of learned a lot from there for about two years so i i spent about two years there um learning game design uh playing a lot of dreamcast games actually that's where i i started playing uh, virtual fighter because uh cam brown was just an insane virtual fighter person he was the kind of person or is the kind of person who uh who travels for four hours to find the uh the, the test machine for Virtual Fighter for the next Virtual Fighter like game. And so he kind of indoctrinated us into the into the way of EF. Uh and uh basically about two years in, um So actually yeah, let me rewind a little bit. Uh so I, I uh I joined at Orin in late nineteen ninety eight. Uh and that's also when so they they just shipped a game called Dark Reign, which was an RTS that had the unfortunate uh, timing to come out at the same time as Total Annihilation, so it kind of got overshadowed a little bit. Uh, but it was a it was kind of a cool RTS. Uh, and the people who uh, made that, uh, while a lot of the people stayed on, a bunch of people left to found uh, Pandemic Studios in, in the US. And so they went and they worked on Dark Reign 2 and Battlezone 2, uh for a couple of years. And the Australians that went over to the US realized they don't really didn't really like living in in LA. And they're like, We wanna make games, we don't want to live in LA. We want to go back home to Australia and start up an Australian wing of pandemic studios. And so two years later they they came back and were starting the groundwork. And so their first their first place to hit when they were coming back was Oren, because they had all their friends there and, and uh and uh there's a kind of a good talent base there. So they uh they went through and like were slowly poking at like people, going you know we're, st- we're starting a small team and uh, we're looking for people. And at, at that time, I uh, I transitioned off Han Bloodline and I was working on trains with the with the Zed at the end, uh, which is the uh, the hardcore train simulation before train simulations became cool. Uh, and I was kind of not really enjoying you know going into hardcore train research and learning the the appropriate cool down boiler time for uh for various things and so i was looking for something new and uh i basically interviewed interviewed with this you know this team of like this two these two or three people coming from from pandemic us wanting to start pandemic australia and uh it was kind of funny cuz i i interviewed with them and uh about a week later i was like i i can't take working on a train simulator anymore i just i'm just going to quit and i'm going to go and do the the typical australian thing of touring around europe for two months and then I'll come back and I'll find a job. And so I, I quit and went uh, around Europe for two months. Uh, and then uh came back uh, and uh, was like, oh, wait, wait I need to f- see if I have a job or not. And so I I, uh, I followed up uh, with the guy who interviewed me. He's like, yeah, you, you've got the job. Can you start in like a week or so? And it was like one of those absolute lucky things that looking back on it uh, like almost 20 years later was like, almost suicidal in terms of a career but everything kind of worked out and so uh i managed to sort of rock up on on day one of pandemic studios australia where we were you know, building our computers and and putting up walls and things like that uh and uh working on uh our first game which was the 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 classic masterpiece army Men rts uh game 19 in the army Men franchise uh but that, was really cool because I got to work with, uh, I got to start working with a bunch of like amazing people. Uh, Matt Harding, who you might know as, uh, Do you know, the guy who's like dances around the world uh, in YouTube videos.
0: I've not seen us. No, I actually, no.
1: So uh, that's actually my the the lead designer I worked with at Pandemic Australia for like the first couple of years. Uh, so we worked on uh, we worked on Army Men RTS together, and then uh, we started work on a party game that got cancelled and then at the start of destroy all humans, he kind of realized that he didn't want to, you know he didn't really want to just keep working on games. He wanted to you know, explore the world and and he, so he went and he kind of in a similar similar style, but on a way bigger scale. It's like, I'm gonna quit my job. I'm gonna go tour the world for a little while. Uh and you have some friends meet up with me. And while he was doing that, uh one of uh, one of the other people that worked at Pandemic Australia, uh, Brad Welsh, who uh, uh, like after working at Pandemic, he worked at Three Four Three for a bit, and I believe he's at EA now. Um, he uh, he suggested to Matt, said, like, "Hey, you should whenever you're in one of these places, you should do uh, that really dumb lunch dance you do." because whenever it was lunchtime he'd almost 12:30 on the dot he'd come into the hall like the whole way of the design pit and just do this really dumb jig like this like overly goofy kind of ridiculous thing and so he started doing this dance on camera and at the end of his trip he had like 30 or 40 da- like small videos of him just dancing in the most ridiculous places around the world and so he assembled it, and uh, I think this was like just when YouTube was starting up. He put it on YouTube, and of course, it exploded into this huge dance sensation thing. He's on like Good Morning America and filling ads for Visa, and like, it became this like one of the first like internet celebrity people. I think
0: uh, this, I think this is slightly ringing a bell. <laughs> no, no, it's starting to come back to me slightly.
1: So yeah, that's a uh, that's that's kind of. Uh, I kind of got way off track here, but yeah he was he was the uh he was my lead on on army man r t s and kind of sort of taught me uh taught me a lot of stuff on design there and actually it was like my first even though it was like four or five years into my career it was the first time I actually did shipping levels in a game cause a lot of the stuff we were doing at oren was for like prototype levels or like we never really finished a level to completion there, so it was kind of i was where like oren was like this base of like learning about what game design is pandemic became. This place of like learning how to ship a game, how what shipping quality is, like how systems interact, and how uh, basically how how to ship a game, essentially. Um, And so, yeah, I worked there for a couple of years, worked at worked on I mean, RTS on a cancelled party game called Oddballs, uh, which was incredibly cool. I'm sad that that didn't come out. That was like a basically Mario Party, but instead of a board game, it was a timed platformer game, uh, like a third person platformer. Uh, which was incredibly cool, uh, and then we spent a lot of time on Destroyal Humans, uh, which was our original IP uh, thing that we worked on at Pandemic Australia. Which I, it's definitely a flawed game, but I, I love it a lot. Uh, and that was two to three years of time, uh, and like we had a lot of we had a lot of weird things happen during development, but like the usual game dev stories of you know the publisher wants us to change what the game is and. Uh, we had, you know, political turmoil in the studio and things like that, and uh, towards the end of that, I was kind of like, I I don't really want to work on Destroy All Humans 2 after spending three years of my life, like, helping birth this this baby through all of this mess, and so uh, I started looking around, and this, it's, as at the time, this was a pe- even at the peak of, like, the Australian game dev scene, there wasn't really anywhere else to work uh, if you wanted to work on AAA stuff. Uh, it was... Irrational Games at the time um, was just ramping up on Bioshock, but they hadn't announced it yet. Uh, But that was about it uh, in terms of like in like new IP AAA kind of studios. And so I started looking uh, overseas uh, in the US, and again, just through like sheer force of luck and coincidence and timing and everything, uh, Harmonix was looking to ramp up uh, for Rock Band. And they were looking for uh, for a designer uh, to come onto that team because they were very, or uh, uh, well, still are a very like production heavy studio uh, because they're you know, they're dealing with lots of uh, music stuff, music outsource and production and things like that. It's very, uh, very, very much like you need to build a, like a huge base, like deal with music companies and things like that. And so uh, they're wrapping up a new project. They needed to bring on uh, another designer for it, and I just managed to sort of thread that needle of like perfect timing for I want to move to the US and uh, it's perfect timing for me and kind of got brought on as uh, one of the first people on the Rock Band team which was uh, which was insane (laughs) absolutely insane (laughs) that's my dog being incredibly uh, incredibly loud (laughs) (sighs)
0: Uh, um, I
1: was going to (laughs) say hey I know I know, I'm in the middle of a story. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. She's very chatty today.
0: (laughs) So is mine for some reason, I don't know why. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) you you were saying...
1: Uh, Yeah, so basically I started uh, uh, Harmonix on on Rock Band, uh, working with uh, uh, Rob K, who was, uh, I believe, ex-Argonaut, and then moved over to Harmonix to work on... uh, by Toy Antigrav and the, the original Guitar Hero. He was the lead designer on that. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of had this, uh, I kind of had this weird experience going into it because uh, when I was interviewing, uh, Guitar Hero had just come out. And uh, as a studio, uh, they weren't really sure what was next. They were working on uh, Karaoke Revolution and all of these other music projects uh but none of them had really exploded and guitar hero was a very small team it was uh, it was like almost like a side project team given how many people were on it because you know who would think that anyone would buy a plastic you know 90 dollar plastic guitar for your for your ps2 uh but it exploded but at the time they didn't really have a sense of how much it exploded just because they were so close to it constantly so uh I remember very clearly going through, like, interviews with some of, like, the, you know, creative directors and things like that, and they're like, well, you know, maybe, you know, we'll probably keep working on Karaoke Revolution, and, you know, it'd be nice to make a sequel to Guitar Hero, maybe, if, you know, people like it, and things like that, and then it's, that becomes this big, huge, like, zeitgeist explosion thing, uh, like, happening outside of them, and you kind of wanted to just go, like, you not understand how, how big this thing is, uh, which then got flipped on me on Rock Band because we shipped Rock Band, and we were like, at the whole time we were doing Rock Band, we were we were like, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to buy a you know, two hundred dollar bundle for of uh, you know plastic instruments that cost them the same as, as a console. Like that's kind of it's kind of crazy. And then of course, like five years later, once I'm out of the blast, I was like, holy crap, this thing was actually kind of big. Uh, even though like it, it's like it seemed big at the time, it was even bigger once once I kind of escaped the. Sort of blast zone but yeah, that was a that was a super wild ride that was um when I joined that was about fifty sixty people uh, and we peaked at about three hundred ish like two or three years later, uh just like bringing on people to handle all the things you need to do when you're building you know the when you become like the biggest drumstick manufacturer in the world and when you have to ship millions of plastic across uh, across the ocean or when you're licensing thousands of songs or, like all of these crazy things uh and through that point, like I was a senior on rock band and I was the the lead designer on rock band two and rock band three. And, uh, it was kind of a similar situation to, uh, to pandemic where, uh, I kind of didn't want to make a rock band Four. I was like, I've I've been working on this franchise for like nearly five years now. I, I'm uh, working as a lead and because I'm working as a lead that basically I spend my entire time in meetings, not really making games. I, uh, I kind, of, I kind of hit this point where I was like, I kind of want to just work on a small, like, 10-person team again, uh, which is kind of like what Pandemic was at the start. And so uh, I saw Rock Band, 3 to, uh, Rock Band 3 through and moved to Austin, Texas to work at uh, Twisted Pixel, uh, who made... Uh, Before I started, they made, uh, like, The more and Explosion Man and a lot of these really quirky, like, fun games. Uh which reminded me like i'd kind of forgotten at that point but it reminded me of like how much i love like just fun like quirky games like it's stuff like the splish man like they're working on like destroy all humans when we were making destroy all humans uh and like even you know going all the way back to like you know stuff I i was playing on the amiga just like making making like original fun stuff that doesn't take itself too seriously uh, so I spent uh, a couple of years there working on the Gunstringer, stringer, uh, which was a, a connect game. where you played a skeleton marionette puppet, uh, which was kind of fun. Uh, worked on some stuff that, uh, that hopefully going to announce soon. Cause I'm really excited for them to announce it. Uh, and then kind of like at that point, how old was I? It would have been 32, like 32, 33 ish. And I was, I was kind of hitting that point of like, okay, what if, as a, as, a, as, as a designer, like, I've always had this dream, of, like, you know, one day I can have a studio and you can make whatever games I want to make and we'll have a team and we'll do this, all these great stuff. And uh, I kind of realized, like, sort of just ramping up on this new, on the new uh, project that Twisted Pixel's working on, I was like, these, these guys are super great and I love working with them. But this is probably the best possible time in my entire life if I ever wanted to start a studio. Uh, and, uh, so I kind of took this leap of like, well, you There's, there's it's, it's kind of weird. Cause it's the first time I've ever quit a job that I love, but like, it, I took this leap of like, I want to, you know, want to start a studio. I want to start a studio with Panzer who I, I'd worked with at Harmonix and, uh, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do this. Another absolutely ridiculous dooms to fail thing, uh, you know, that hopefully will line up and, uh, move to Seattle and started no Goblin where, uh, We've been alive for like almost three years now, which absolutely stuns me. Uh, as someone who had like minimal business experience going into all of this, uh, but yeah, we've been uh, been around for three years now. Uh, we shipped Roundabout uh, almost two years ago now, which is kind of crazy. Which was a a spinning limousine game with FMV, uh, heavily inspired by uh, Kurukurukuran, which was a, a launched GBA title in Europe, uh, and then from there we uh, we started making 100-foot robot golf, which is exactly what the name implies, is 100-foot robots playing golf. Uh, and, like, a lot of our philosophy for, like, how we make games is basically that same goofy, fun uh, vibe of, like, you know, we're called No Goblin. Uh, partly it's based off uh, what uh, was something that uh, Josh Bear, who's the chief creative guy at Twisted Pixel would say, is, uh, like, whenever we'd bring up anything that was very kind of, like, fantasy or sci-fi or like very kind of nerdish uh he'd be like this, that's that's way too gobliny i don't this isn't like this i don't want any gobliny stuff in this game and so uh when we were starting a studio we've spent a lot of time trying to think of a name It's was like probably the hardest part of starting a studio is coming up with a name and uh we're like, what if we just called it No Goblin? Like, it's exactly the kind of games we want to make. Is like, we don't want to. We're probably never going to make, uh, you know, a sci-fi first-person shooter. We're never going to make a fantasy RPG. Like, we're going to be making these, you know, these unique and fun games that have like interesting mechanics and cool story and things like that. Um, and so basically, I just stole that from Josh and and based the entirety of my future career on it, which seems to be seems to be going okay so far. Knock on wood.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fretting the needle once again. Yeah, exactly. Get into your favorite game, uh, world games. Um, you'd you got it with your Amiga, but um, don't suppose by any chance after you got your Amiga that you'd played um, winter or summer games because like they're very traditional like sports collection games, whereas world games is not.
1: Yeah, it's so a lot of it was like when I was coming up with like you no, know, when you gave me the incredibly cruel and mean task of picking one favorite game, uh. <laughs> I was like, you no, know, do the California games because obviously California games is like the, the pinnacle of that that sort of uh, that sort of epic style game collection. And like, I I'd, I'd played, I I'd played, you know, Winter Games, Summer Games, like a lot of those 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 games. And I think World Games, World Games, won out for me. Partially, is because it was in those like that first collection of games that brought me into games. Uh, but another part of it is I think it's kind of slightly goofier in a way than like California games. Uh, like I like going through like some of the stuff in there. Like if, if you're, it's more funny to fail in world games than I think it is to fail in California games. Like you if you if you're doing the cliff diving and you like you knock your head on this cliff and like flail down while a pelican is just like looking at you like you're an idiot. Like it's, it, I feel like that's. I feel like that's what a lot of world games, uh, I think that's a lot of why world games have a special place in my heart, in, the, in that uh, there are bigger ways to fail and all of them are hilarious. For some reason,
0: like, when you say that story, all I can think back to is the London Olympics four years ago when that guy went off the diving board in the diving contest and he just nearly knocked his head off. <laughs> Yeah.
1: <laughs> And you should, like it's. We're laughing about this guy who nearly got like a traumatic brain injury, but it's, it's just like this this comical like it's just something like just slapstick funny about it.
0: <laughs> to be like to be crystal clear for anyone who hasn't seen it, he didn't actually bang his head, but he was like inches away from doing it.
1: Yeah. Oh it's, my god. But I feel like that's a lot of like the world game thing, like you know, crashing through the barrels when you're doing the uh, speed skating or like. Trying, doing the, the caper toss and having it land on your feet and it's just like you hopping for a couple of seconds like it's all of those it's all of those like small touches that just like really make that game for me on top of uh, on top of uh, the kind of epics games formula of here are these really just distilled fun game experiences that you're that you're playing with people uh in a, like a friendly co-op but also competitive way
0: so Drop the elevator pitch, then, for World Games. If you were, if you were wanting me to play a World Games today, even though it's more or less basically impossible at this point, <laughs> like, how would you go about it?
1: It is the... World Games is the goofiest co-op uh, knock-off Olympics game. That, 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 play,
0: that was my first thought when I saw what World Game was.
1: It's that we don't have the, the rights to the Olympics... And we want to go goofier than the Olympics. So we're going to go and take what we think is the important sport in each country and you will play that and be be the best in this thing. And it's 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 goofy couch play fun, even though you're probably, at the time, you were playing it hunched over a, a computer in a, in a den somewhere.
0: So yeah, like the fact it has, n- like it does have one or two traditional sports in there, like it has weightlifting, which you'd find in the Summer Olympics, or slalom skiing, mm. like you'd see in the Winter Olympics. But beyond that, like it's just batshit weird. like, yeah,
1: it's yeah, like yeah, it's like the yeah, you know, cabotas, the log rolling, like there's, it's it's all stuff. It's one of the, it was really hard to pick this, by the way, because like my my usual. Uh, we can talk about like some of the other games later but like the usual sort of designer like breaking the ice in an interview thing is like tell me your top five favorite games and so because of that i kind of have this internalized list of like my top three my top three are super mario world and uh gta and and i have like these uh, i had midwinter midwinter 2 on the list for a while uh and then i started thinking about my games for this and uh like Midwinter two is impossible to play. Uh, GTA three is I don't really want to go back and play that. Uh Super Mario World I'll go back and play, but it's like a very it's like a very dry example to give, which is a weird thing to say. Uh but like the more I thought about it, it's like world games, I would go back and play world games. Like if you wanted to play world games right now and like you were not across an ocean, I would be I would be like, Yes, this is this is a thing I will happily play with you for half an hour. Uh uh as a game and it's it's just one of those things that uh like looking back on it it's like it just impacted how i how i enjoy games and how i make games so much in terms of uh goofiness in terms of uh polish it, like all of those things it's it's a serious like it's internally serious but it doesn't it's not a serious game like, these, this is, like, the, the pinnacle, like, the fake Olympics of, of video games, and this is, like, the highest honor these these people are doing, and this guy knocks his head on a cliff and, like, jams his head in the sand as he falls down, and it's... Uh, that's pretty much my aesthetic.
0: So, basically, <laughs> World Games is basically the reason why New Goblins games are so goofy and weird.
1: Pretty much, yeah. It, it's all epics's fault. Uh, and I, I feel like maybe Epics as a company is, is kind of, like, to blame for that in general.
0: <laughs> um... So yeah, I'm gonna run down each sport from the game, and you're gonna tell me how you found each of them, how you got on with each of them. So um, mm-hmm. let's start with, um, mother Russia weightlifting.
1: Weightlifting, uh, man, my memories of that are basically loading up as many weights as possible on <laughs> on the thing. Like like part of this game is like you wouldn't you stop taking it seriously after a while. You're like okay, I'm just gonna make this poor guy suffer. <laughs> so you just load up the weights. And it's just like, it's just, it's, you can almost see like the pity on his face before, <laughs> before he lift. And, uh, and you go through, I, man, I, I wish I could remember the joystick motion for it, but like you go through and you do it like clean jerk move on it. And if you pulled it off, uh, you basically, you basically sort of would a leader for that round essentially, uh. But yeah, my all of my memories are just being being really cruel to this guy and just like jamming on weight upon weight because it was you'd kind of scroll them and they'd they pop on as they were they were the uh, they would go off the center weight and so it was kind of like this this mean slider you were dialing up when you were were about to play
0: just just attempting to break his back out of pure spite. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Next, um, we go to La France, uh, slalom Scheme.
1: Slalom Scheme I feel like was one of the weaker ones. Maybe it's just because it wasn't. Uh, there wasn't like prime like goof opportunity there, but it was it was a from what I remember of it, it was like a it was just a solid slalom game, and it was maybe tuned a little hard. Like I had a little trouble like getting through as a five year old kid, but part of that may have been because I was a five year old kid. Uh, but yeah, I, I feel like that's if I if I had to pick uh, if I had to pick a weak point, I think it's probably either that or Sumo of like these are the. No, these are the ones you you you'll play and you'll enjoy, but like it's not when when I say world games, like that's that's not the thing I'm going to be putting up as my, my my flag banner.
0: What about in Canada? Which we should mention by the way that these come like um countries are the ones holding their kind of national sports, so that's kind of why I'm referencing them. I, I'm, Dan mentioned it as well. Um,
1: so yeah, log rolling. Log rolling is awesome. I believe that was co-op, right? It was two players, um. Deep. I, I I could be completely wrong, it may have just been AI, but I remember it being like two people rolling on the log at the same time and it was like one of the few adversarial uh it was like this very adversarial thing of like who's gonna who's gonna roll which way to like knock off the other person. It was like kind of like uh almost like a jousting style, like, you know, you're trying to compensate for the other person and knock them off. Uh I remember it being like one of those things like you would one of those games you would bring over and if you really wanted to win against someone, you'd play it against someone who'd never played the game before, because like it takes a while to get into that rhythm of how that game works. And so there's it there was like a you had your friends over who were like coming for a sleepover and you're like okay, this this is my freebie round that I'm going to uh, I'm going to use to just knock you off and get an extra point on the board.
0: Like like how long does it take you to kind of get that rhythm?
1: It took a while. Um, I think I think it would probably would have been. Like you, you can be competitive within a couple of games. Like yeah, like once you get a sense of it. But like it's one of those things that you, like it's like rock paper scissors in the sense like once you once you get into the mind of the other person of how they're going to roll, uh, it's a it's a lot a lot uh a lot more interesting.
0: <laughs> it's interesting when you mention rock um rock paper scissors because just you just when you put it like that it just makes me think hmm, maybe it's just done to sheer luck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, it's pure skill. Everything—it's it's the Mario Party thing. Everything is skill. There is no luck involved. Mm. Um, next, oh,
0: become two cliff diving.
1: Cliff diving—that's that's that's right up there. Like that—that that and caper toss and the barrel jump. uh If I if I had to pick a top three, it's it's those three. Like it's it's one of those. It's, it's, I think this is the opposite in that it's really easy to get into it. Uh. And it's really easy to figure out how it plays, and you can choose cliff height as well. So, like, if you're new, you can go lower and try and get a safer jump. Uh, but just getting the perfect, just getting the, the, the perfect entry into that is way harder than it looks because you don't really get that much push off from the cliff, cliff when you jump. Uh, which is also great because, like, all of the every reaction to everything going wrong is hilarious. And it's it's, it's a, you know, he's knocking his head on a cliff and you're just watching him just fall like into the water and then this pelican is just like covering its eyes at your terrible jump uh, or if you go like straight down you can get your head stuck in the in the sand for a while uh, I think' it's, this one is like it's it's a very it's a very fine-tuned like game but all of the all the polish on the outside of it is what makes it like like pushes it up another level.
0: levelberttos
1: Cabertoss I suck at And I I wish I didn't suck at, um, like we're talking about like the the log roll and like how you eventually get into that. Uh, I don't know what it is because I've I've played with other people who get it and like I never I never could get into a rhythm for Cabotos, uh, which is fine though because just like part of the humor for that is like you've gone through and like you're uh, you're going through and you're playing and you're doing great at like barrel jumping and cliff diving and things like that and then. You come to Cabotos, and it's like this, you know, triumphant, like sort of Scottish jig thing. And you go through, and you go through like this big build-up. You're gonna go and throw this log really high, and you take one step, and it just falls and lands on your foot. And you're just like standing there, hopping with this huge crowd, just disappointed behind you. Uh, so it was, it, it made made up for it in laughter than it did in actual, like me winning games of World Games.
0: Um. This is a bit of a weird one, I have to say, but it's Mm -hmm. one interesting all the same. Bull riding.
1: Bull riding, man. I barely remember bull riding. That's weird. (laughs) I I know there were different versions of um of world games. I know they varied based on platform. Mm. Um, I wish I had a list of where they varied. Um, yeah, I. I had completely forgotten about bull riding until you mentioned it, actually, which is probably not the best thing to say about my favorite game. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I'm sure it was great. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I I wish I had that list of like how I know California games, one of those ones where it was hugely different per platform. Like they would have like hacky sack on the links and uh, roller skating on the Master System, I want to say, like there was, there was like a, a bunch of different ones like that. So that it may be failing my memory because it wasn't on the Amiga version, or it was on the Amiga version, and I just have a terrible memory.
0: Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, um, barrel jumping, on.
1: This is this is my pro. If they make an eSport out of barrel jumping, I'm a millionaire. Like I am. It, it's it's one of the, it's one of those ones where it's totally a. Uh, like a hubris kind of thing as well because you have no limit on the amount of barrels you want to jump it's basically it presents you with i believe three barrels at the start and you uh you basically move this to kind of like the the weightlifting style like i'm going to be able to jump over 20 barrels this time and uh you say so you go through and you do you like the usual pattern you'd see is you see the three barrels maybe, like, maybe knock it up one or two they go through and they do the the, the, the left right timing to, to speed up the skating, they do the jump and they, they just clear it by miles. And they're like, Okay, clearly I'm the best at this game. And so they they ratchet up the barrels like two dozen barrels. And they go through and for some reason like the amount of times I've seen this is kinda of uncanny. For some reason they just flub up either the run up or the jump and they they jump like maybe two barrels worth. And they just collapse down and you just it's just these these uh, these like pixel art barrels just collapsing as this guy just like jumps straight into them. Uh, and it's just there's something just really, really satisfying. Like the jump the clearing the barrels is cool, but seeing your competitors just fail miserably on like like after like sort of getting their hopes up is is really nice and this whole interview is making me feel like I'm a really mean person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, uh, the way you're putting it to me right now, I really do want to try and find a version of world games I can play.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there they should be, like, I feel like the Amiga stuff should be abandoned web by now. Um, okay, like, it's, it's, basically, it's basically finding the right emulator for, for all of this stuff.
0: Hmm, I'm just going to see if I can search for this. Oh, no, I have the Wikipedia page in here. Um, oh, no, it's on the virtual console on the Wii. Oh,
1: excellent. That's I, I, I probably the NES version, though. I'm not sure what they, uh... I don't think I've ever played them this version of board games. Hmm. Well, I wonder if that's where bull riding is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been,
1: it's been one of those things where, like, as a like as a design thing, like you love making new UIPs and stuff. But like every every year or so, I'm like, man, I wonder who owns all of the Epics IP right now. And like, you like, go through the thing. It's like some medical company bought something at some point and sold it to a re- religious company, and it went went through this weird path. You're like, I. I yeah, I'm fine not chasing down this IP path for a thing I absolutely cannot afford. I'll uh I'll make a game about robots or something.
0: Apparently system free bought the assets for Epics for stuff like oh, really? California games and mission impossible or impossible mission for DS, PSP and Wii, so maybe you might get hmm. luck.
1: May give them a call after this is done. <laughs> <laughs> See if they wanna sell it to me for like twenty, thirty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> my, my budget is very tight right now we're, uh, we're full production on robot golf so I, uh, my, my, my spare spending money is a little tight but yeah you know, I'm sure that'll come to deal
0: <laughs> here's hoping um, yeah. <laughs> um, finally then a bit more traditional but still out of place all the same, sumo wrestling
1: yeah sumo I remember being it was kind of like that uh, the slalom thing of like it's a good it's a good mode and it's it's like it's a good game to play, but for me a lot of a lot of the reason I love world games is is the, the goofiness of it. And so like the fact that it's a serious well no I wanna say serious, but like it the fact that it, it's more focused on suit like just sumo wrestling, uh, kinda kinda it doesn't get into the into my, my top games of world games, uh, for me. But it's still like like I, I say that as like it's a terrible thing. Like I remember like it being fun like it was a it was a, it was like all of these games like it's, it's like the co-op the co-op design rules basically once it goes co-op it becomes like magically fun for because you have that interaction between people and like all of these all of these games going through and having like everyone have their weaknesses and like the games they liked and they didn't like uh really is what made the whole of world game so special it was that it was uh everyone had their, their their pros and cons and everyone was bringing you know Everyone had the ability to win at this game, even if they were they were new or old, or like had you know tons of time learning how to kabutoss or not. Like it was, it was this weird leveling play field and even if everyone failed miserably, people were still having fun and laughing.
0: It's that kind of special joy it brought with the club.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm sure, like I've played it single player. Like it's still a fun single player game, but it's that it's that that extra layer of just uh turn based gameplay and, and like having having that tension ramp up as you're passing passing around the joystick that was uh that was something special and
2: mm.
0: um, like what one or two things that i've read on the game is that it that one is that um some of the sports were very notoriously difficult and s- sometimes
1: yeah cave <laughs> <laughs> good point like it's as, as one of those things where like i i've if i hadn't seen other people click with it and nail it i would be like yeah some of these games are just way too hard like way too tightly balanced and less impossible but then i'd go over to like a friend's place and they would just nail it and i think it's just one of those things where it's like all all of those activities at least one or two just won't click for people not won't click but like they won't have an affinity for it uh whereas other games will like totally nail in and it's like this weird secret i don't know if it's intentional or not but like there's just this mechanical ability balance in it that's just naturally means that you're going to find one game that you're able to really just succeed at um but yeah if i hadn't if i hadn't played with friends like growing up with it and like seen like at, like one one person just like absolutely take to a specific game i'd be like yeah you know, is absolutely broken it's a mess. How I, I, yeah, I've never thrown a long cable to tell I say clearly should remove the game, but uh, yeah, unfortunately evidence proves to the contrary.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, is there any sport in the game you'd fancy your chances at in real life? Like you mentioned, you mentioned, <laughs> like I know you mentioned uh, uh, b- a barrel jumping as a, as a kind of rule. but what if you did that in actual real life, not as an e-sport?
1: Uh, out of all of the games... I've never been skiing, so that takes out skiing. Uh, I'm a little overweight, but I'd have to wear a fat suit for sumo wrestling, so that's out. Um,
0: not weight, left on ours.
1: Yeah. I-, I think it may actually be barrel jumping, the more I think about it. Like, I, I can ice skate. Uh, I'm not going to be jumping off a rocky cliff anytime soon. <laughs> uh, I definitely don't have the upper body strength for, for a cable toss but... Uh, I'm not going bull riding anytime soon. Yeah, I'd probably say, I'd say probably, uh, like, if I had, if I had a bit of time to practice, like, if I could get my, my ice skating skills to, I don't need to spend the first 20 minutes on ice rink holding onto the side, like, past that point, if I could hit the ice and, like, be speed skating and learn how to jump on ice, I think that's my, that's my ticket to real life sporting fame. Like, I think that's, that's it. When that goes into the Olympics, then I am, I am absolutely set.
0: Representing Australia or the US? Then
1: uh, probably Australia. I'm still an Australian citizen, even though I'm living in in Seattle. So I'll uh, I'll be like the second Australian Winter Medal. <laughs> um. So post um World Games,
0: on like, is there any sports collection games like since then that have that you think has lived up the ethos of World Games? I
1: think like obviously there's California Games, uh, Summer Games, Winter Games. Like all of all of the all of the other epics games that aren't california games too i think uh they they had that ethos like it's not as goofy obviously but it's still it still has that same uh gameplay feel uh like the closest like the 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 original n64 mario parties have kind of that sense as well although that's a little more um a little more random uh i think it's one of the things i feel like has been lost over the last, say, decade, like, since the 360 onwards, uh, is that sort of couch, party, play uh, fun experience. And, like, there are... Obviously, there are games that are doing this, like, you know, Nidhogg, Duck Game. Like, there are... If I want to hook up a PC to my TV, uh, there are games that I can play that kind of capture, like, one game from that experience, but nothing that was uh, us rotating through games that had specific, you know, that... One each of us had specific uh, uh, affinity for, uh, so yeah, I don't know if there actually has been something that really captures what the game series was about.
0: That's a shame. Um,
1: so, so yeah, no goblin game three, California games three confirmed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so what else do you like about World Games that we've not touched upon yet?
1: I think like. I think the like when I think we we're talking about this before is like it's kind of one of those games where I feel really mean for picking it because uh, it's not like this you know deep discussion of system mechanics intertwining with this deep complex meaningful story like it's a goofy game and it's uh, like a lot of the fun is is out of like the polish layer they put on it and, and things like that. Uh, I think if I had to mention one thing we haven't mentioned about it yet. I believe the Amiga version was sponsored by Continental Airlines uh, before they were bought up by whoever they were bought up by United. I think I don't know. It was all so long ago, but like I, I loved how like looking back on it, I loved how cheesy uh, the product placement was back then. And like California games had this too. Like they had uh, they had o- Ocean Pacific and like all these surf brands in there as well. And as as a kid, and like I didn't even really think about this until like I was. deep in kind of the triple a brand integration sort of hell that uh, we we had to be in for doing sponsorship and things like that in games but it's like they probably they probably got sponsorship deals for all that stuff and so like there's at some point in the mid 80s there's some poor epics employee chatting to a bunch of people in suits at continental airlines going we want you to be the sponsor." of this game where you jump off a cliff and get your head stuck in the sand and Pelican covers its eyes. And also there's a Cavatus game that you'll hurt your foot on. Please give us fifty thousand dollars. And it's like the idea of thinking through how just, just thinking through like how ridiculous like those brand meetings must have gone is is kind of amazing. I wish there was I wish there was a Behind the scenes, making of of like that era of epics to, um Just for my own personal edification.
0: This is it. Now you can you can do this with hundred foot robot golf. Just get all the product placement in the world now. Just go for it. Go for broke.
1: That's true. That's true. I I should. There's there's something really that so I can skip, like sit down with like Mountain Dew or someone and be like, hey, look at these robots destroying buildings. I think this is perfectly great, perfectly great brand for uh, for your uh, for your drink.
0: Or, or, or Doritos.
1: <laughs> yes, well, they had Doritos Crash Course, and that's. I don't feel like it's possible to top Doritos Crash Course in terms of uh, Adva games. Unless <laughs> the Burger King games. Those are pretty good.
0: True, true. I'd forgotten about those. <laughs> <laughs> um, what didn't you like about World Games?
1: Uh, I think it's just like the. I think it's. The, yeah, the Slalom and. Um, sumo. And I guess Bull Riding, if that was in the Amiga version. Uh, but. It was kind of like this low point—not low point, but it's like it was kind of. It didn't for me match the peaks of everything else, and so I feel like that's kind of the low point. And probably like if I like it, this is all like sort of nitpicking kind of stuff. But like, you know, the session times could get a little longer if you had like six people were changing around the controller to play a game, and so you get like forty-five minutes in, and like a bunch of people would be bored. But they, you know, they were terrible people, and I'm not friends with them, so I, I guess that's uh that's fine uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I it's i've it's one of those games like it, it, is, it is still playable um what 30 years on oh my god uh, it's still playable now which is good but it's like on the borderline of still playable like it's not like uh midwinter 2 which is completely impossible to play even through an emulator now
0: if there's anything you change from a design perspective from the game what would you what would it be what would you do
1: oh boy um i would i mean this bringing up slalom and 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 sumo up to like a higher like higher goof possibility um i feel like one of the things and like obviously it was in the 80s so like there wasn't like this this kind of touchstone to pull from but like i really one thing i really like uh putting into games now is like that golden eye reward system at the end where it's uh, it would give you two, like, kind of badges of honor. It's like, you know, least violent or, like, most slappers or whatever, whatever the... Uh, like, just, like, these, like, merit awards that it would give you. And uh, I, it's kind of a soft spot for me. And, like, I've been putting them in games for a, a while now. Like, they're in Rock Band at the end when you finish. We've got them in uh, in 100-foot Robot Golf as well. But, I could, man, if I, could, if I could go back in time and, like, take one piece of, like, modern design wisdom back with me, it'd be like, hey... These guys at Rare, you're going to get them to port a game soon, but don't worry about that. Like, take take this really cool thing and just like give you like, you know, most most rotations after a cliff hit or like uh, hi- highest uh, highest barrel jump or like this like like just some like really cool like sort of merit awards that you can kind of goof around with your friends with afterwards.
0: So, how would you rank uh, Epic's sports games in, in a top three? Obviously, World Games at the top, but how would you go from there?
1: World Games at the top. Uh, depending on the port California games, um, I would have to go back and look at all the different California games as ones, but obviously the the Lynx version I remember being really good. The Amiga version I remember being good. Um, then it's between, what, summer and winter. I feel like I'd have to give winter the edge, and I don't really have a good basis for why, which it always makes for good reasoning when making a list. Uh, but I feel like I i feel like i can think about more of the things that were in winter games more than i can for summer games like summer games maybe it was like maybe felt a little too close to track and field um but there's i think it would be very close but i would put winter games on top uh and then yeah summer games and then california games two just, just uh, like if, skip a blank space and then put california games 2 underneath that blank space
0: Uh, ahead of time, you gave me a few of these, so we'll go into these in detail. So let's start with a game that you were actually kind of debating whether to go with World Games or this um, Kerbal Space Program.
1: That's true, Kerbal Space Program. So, like I was mentioning before, like I had like you know, my top five games. and I was thinking back on it, uh, and I haven't really updated this list in probably like four years in my head because I haven't had to interview anyone or be interviewed in like four years, like in terms of, like fighting for a job or, or things like that. And then I'm looking back on it, and Kerbal is something that I have been playing for at least four years now, like, relatively regularly. Like, a couple hundred hours in my Steam rotation, which is high for me. I'm not, like, a huge, like, time investment in game stuff just because I... I mean, I play a lot of games, but, like, in terms of, like, one game, like, I only have so much time when I'm not making games that I have to play games, and there's so many games coming out I want to play that it's usually all... I'll finish a game and shelve it, or, like, I'll, I'll come back now and then if it's, like, a fun party game. But, yeah, I keep coming back to Kerbal relatively constantly, and I think part of it is just the joy of just, like, building rockets and just, like, shooting them off into space and, like, building these, like, slowly, like, tuning and iterating uh, these vehicles, which I guess makes sense because, like, that's a lot of what game, like, game development, game design is, is iterating and trying to, like, get to a point. But that coupled with uh, the space side of things, because I, I love space. Uh, I come from an aviation family, uh, and uh, so kind of merging those two together and having it constantly update every couple of months uh, with like new features and new new ways to new ways to build rockets, but new reasons to build different rockets. Like they they introduced a career system, so instead of just trying to get a rocket to the moon you're now trying to like shuttle people into orbit for money and things like that uh, and there's just something there's just something that keeps pulling me back into it and it was really it was tough like for world games because um, it very like, Kerbal very nearly beat it like it was it was it was some serious discussion on my end in my brain about like what like is is there enough in Kerbal to push it over world games and I, I think Like there's a little bit of goofiness in there, like that's sort of like uh, serious, but like things things kind of escalate. Uh, But I feel like in terms of in terms of impact onto how I am as a person and the kinds of games I build, I feel like World Games had a bit more um, a bit more impact, especially in terms of like starting a company that makes these kind of games. Uh, but yeah, like I still, I still play Kerbal. Like I'm still, you know, following through it. So, you know, they, they released a new uh, the 1.1 update that has like all kind of performance imp- improvements and things like that. Uh, but there's just something, there's something really nice about making something and then flying it and like achieving a goal and like doing, doing cool space stuff.
0: Um, next Super Mario World.
1: Yes, yeah, Super Mario World. Uh, is kind of. Super Mario World I think may be close to a perfectly designed game. Uh and like in like in terms of like design mentors, obviously Miyamoto's like a huge one for a ton of designers, and me included. Uh I just feel like there's there's so if there's so much that when you start looking at it from a design perspective and you start pulling back the layers and like seeing seeing like how those things are perfectly paced, or like it's the first it's the first uh first instance of Miyamoto helping a game, where you'd go and you'd hit a block and it would pop up a text thing, which seems like it's a little antiquated now, but at the time it was like, oh, of course. Like, you would you would tell people what they need to do if it was complex at the point where they need to do it. And which is, you know, it, it sounds so dumb when you say it in 2016, but like in 93 or whatever, it's like, oh, this is, that's really smart. Uh, and I feel like there's a, a lot of stuff with how, uh how the the exclamation color blocks uh unlock and how those reveal different paths and different routes and all of the platforming is just super super tight and honed uh it's one of those it's one of those games that is just it's like a a a meal a design meal that you can just like sit down and go through and go ah this is it's, it's like watching a like a like a the backs like innards of a watch rotating, essentially, uh, and it's just a, an amazing thing to like pull apart as a designer. And like it's it's a game I can still play now, but like unlike unlike World Games or unlike Kerbal for me, like I I don't really have a desire to go through and complete Super Mario World again. Like I've I've done that many times, and like I'll happily you know, pick it up and play it for a little bit. But I've I've played it so many times, and also on so many platforms now that it's been like a Virtual Console and things like that that uh, it's. I've kind of exhausted the entire. Like, I've I've eaten the meal essentially, uh, but it's still like for for me, it's just like one of those just amazingly constructed, uh, amazingly constructed works that I, I think is it's, it's it's probably one of the better best design games uh, I've played. Have
0: you played? Have you tried um, playing it in Mario Maker yet at all?
1: Uh, I've messed around in Mario Maker a little bit. Uh, I'm a little I'm a little sad actually that. Uh, it's still the same mechanics like still same tuning and mechanics across the levels like i kind of wish there was like some of the unique tuning that w- w- was in each game like obviously i can understand why not given how quickly you can change themes and themes and things like that uh mario maker is one of those games i wish i'd played 20 years ago before i started making games because the kind of the last thing i want to do after making games for you know 10 hours or whatever is sit down and then make a level because that's I, there's like this guilt that overtakes me of like I'm making a level in Mario Maker, or I could be using this time to make another another hole or another level or like doing the exact same thing, but on this project that supports my rent and my ability to eat, uh, and it's it's hard to detach that sometimes in Mario Maker, but I've I've played that a ton and it's it's really really cool and like some of the stuff that's come out of that. Uh, like the or like the the giant bomb, like uh, Dan versus Patrick style challenges.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say, I was actually watching the Pax East panel they did last night, and I and oh the hilarity in it. Sometimes it's just brilliant. I love how that game has just kind of brought out so much fun. Not it's. it's just, I think that's the thing,
1: right? It's, it's it's simplified down what used to be like an arduous thing and just presented it in this easy. Like, here, go nuts, make a really great level. And it's it's amazing and frustrating on both ends, because it's amazing because you'll see you'll see people who haven't thought about level design before like make something very quick and be like, oh, wow, I can make a thing, that's great. And then they go and make something that they actually want to be polished and go, wow, this is really a lot harder than I thought it would be for something that's basically just drawing blocks. And you're like, you're like yes, I told you so. See, I have a valid skill. Uh, and then on the other hand, it's also super frustrating, like knowing, knowing how like the barriers to entry that they had making those original games, and they're like sketching out on graph paper levels, and the iteration time was measured in days rather than seconds. And like knowing like I, I, it must be super weird seeing people make something in seconds that took you like, months to build originally, when, like, when everything was still in progress. So it's, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's, I think it's a, a really great, uh, a really great thing, especially if you're if for people who aren't like who don't have access or don't have this like the the previous knowledge to like build levels and like proper like full engines, uh, I, I think it's super great.
0: Next, let's jump into Midwinter Two.
1: Midwinter Two uh, was an amazing Amiga game where you, it's basically a, a first-person open-world sandbox with, uh, like, conversation and a metagame of, like, regions of countries fighting against each other, and you could fly, like, fly and drive and go underwater in these polygonal submarines, uh, but it came out in 1992 on the Amiga, which makes no sense when you think about, like, this is like a, if you released a game like that, if you, like, pushed up your Steam game of, like, you can travel underwater and fly in the air and there's this crazy campaign that you're going through and you can create a character that's able to flirt out of prisons and do all of this other stuff. Like you're like, wow, that's super ambitious. That's super crazy. Like, but like in, in 92, I, it seemed like a miracle at the time. Like you would, you could literally exist in this world and you didn't have to just follow a straight level path. Like the, the, the decisions you made, like which islands you wanted to conquer impacted how the AI would take over other islands because it was a, it like an up, 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 up I can't say the word but of lots of islands because I'm a thirty six year old man um, <laughs> the, the 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 a word of lots of islands which I will move on from now because I'm a professional game designer um there's there was there is something magical about um about this being a, like a realized world, and it's really it's rough talking about it because it's unplayable now. Like it's you go through and you play it. Like I mean, you can boot up a disc and it looks like it did before, but the fog plane is like twenty meters in. It runs at four frames a second. Its uh, controls are terrible. Like it's it is it is not aged in a way that is accessible to anyone who wants to check it out. And it's a real it's a real shame because it's. It's one of those things that, like, I didn't realize it at the time, but it kind of instilled a, uh, it instilled a love of sandbox games and a love of system mechanics that I built on as a designer. And like, I love playing sandbox games, and I love, uh, I love emergent gameplay and like all of all of those you know touchy feely designer things. But it's, it's it's sad that it's unplayable now because i feel like that's like the first like the first foundation of those types of games
0: speaking of sandbox games um it's a next up as a game that i would perhaps hold in my own top 20 games of all time perhaps the one that really launched sandbox games into a whole new era like it revolutionized it it's grand theft auto 3
1: yes and I, that's, that's an amazing game like that's like it's almost, it's almost one of the things like Grand Theft Auto 3 I don't need to explain why this game is absolutely bonkers revolutionary it has a special place in my heart but uh I think a lot of it was like the path, the, the best memory I have of it let's got two memories one is playing actually GTA 1 and there's a mission in there very early on where you have to deliver cash to someone and at the end of that mission uh you can just kill the guy and keep the money and it says mission success like like no prompted no like you should do this like if you if you decide to keep the money and not give it to this guy that's completely valid and that was one of those moments like wow that's that's insane this is a big open world again Uh, and so going into GTA 3 like I remember there not being a huge amount of hype going into it and I was like holy crap this is going to be a 3D version of that that's amazing and like there wasn't really that much buzz at the time for some reason, but like maybe I was in Australia at the time. There wasn't that much buzz for it. Uh, but I remember very clearly we were working on army men RTS at the time it came out in Australia and I went out at lunch and picked up a copy of the, the pre censored, like pre GTA style cover on it, uh, version of it, I Picked it up and we put it in our, uh, our test kit to play. Cause it's like the only test kit that you could actually play a retail game on. Uh, and we just lost like four hours. Like the entire afternoon was just the entire dev team just around this small like fourteen know, inch TV. Um, as we would, as we'd go through and like you know, get in the car and ratchet up the the wanted rating and everything would explode and like things would happen. And, like we didn't start a single mission, but just like playing in that world was just so enthralling and just like so hilarious watching people just fail as this as this. As these tanks and like this impossible force of might comes towards, uh, and it was just, it was very, it was like it was like just a super crystal clear memory in my mind of like that, and of course the impact like playing through the story and like all of the things that they introduced to like basically build a genre on top of that uh, is amazing, and I, I'm like again it's like one of those ones where like maybe this is my top game, but I wouldn't go back and play. I don't really have a desire to go back and play GTA 3. Like, maybe Vice City, you know, every couple of years, but uh, I feel like I've exhausted the, the full... But I've eaten that game, essentially.
0: Well, you've just kind of burnt yourself out on it.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: No, I mean, like, I, I can see where you're coming from it, but at the same time, I think that'd be a bit of a shame because, like, even now, GTA 3 is just so influential... And I realize that's kind of a bit of a cop-out way of saying it, but it really is just so influential. And I, like, even though there are games in the series alone that have surpassed free in terms of scale and style and all out there, like like Vice City, like San Andreas, yeah. like four or five. Every once in a while, if I can find a system that can play Grand Theft Auto for you, it'll be playstation 2 playstation 3 like it's out now on playstation 4 and i don't know why i've already bought it already but, <laughs> but like I, I could still you know drive around the island of portland and just lose myself and, and just listen to laszlo and chatterbox and yeah and the ninja guy just
1: hey yeah oh Ow! oh oh laszlo i think i hurt my hand in my my pinky's all bent the wrong way. Listen, Karate Kid, the death gets still in one piece. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh I, oh, I could talk about that. No, I, I totally feel you. Like I feel, like, but I feel like that's kind of it, though. Is it becomes a, uh, it becomes a nostalgia trip rather than a, like I'm, like rather than an active engagement and enjoyment. Well, I mean, you're still enjoying it. That's not a bad way to say it, but like, it's like the reasons I would go back into GTA Three right now. Would be nostalgia, like oh, I want to see the the remaster of this and see how great it looks at you know, 1080p or whatever. Uh, or I want to you know try and fly a dodo again. Uh, but like, I feel like even with Vice City, like maybe maybe Vice maybe this is me realizing that Vice City goes above GTA three in my list. But like, I would probably do I'd probably play through Vice City again before I'd play through GTA three again. And I feel like that's just because of the it's a that's more. It has a more interesting story to me. And like, there's more, like, the having helicopters in there made things way more interesting. And there were a bunch of other stuff, other things in there. But uh, yeah, like, my, I feel like the main reason for me going back into those is just remembering how great those games were. Whereas with world games, like, I would legitimately go and play a game of world games right now, not for nostalgia, just for, but for actual actual fun and i feel really bad saying that because i love i love gta3 so much and it was it's been in my top five for for a long time but yeah it's this is this is why this whole this whole thing is just super mean because now i'm having to talk bad things about gta3 you made me do
0: (laughs) i i'm quite i'm quite uh the manipulator so to speak (laughs) but no i totally get what you mean and like here's the thing I find fascinating about Grand Theft Auto, uh, at least for me Like, I'm not I'm not just talking specific games here I mean like, as mm-hmm. a series as a well. whole at least from GTA 3 almost because I've not played 1, 2 or London but mm. like even the lowest ranking game in terms of my favourite GTA games which would be San Andreas mm-hmm. like, my least favourite GTA game is still a really good game in it's own right, it's just kind of taste of preference I guess
1: yeah, exactly. I probably be on the same as well. I'd, I'd say that I would, I would put uh, the nineteen sixty nine above San Andreas for sure. Which sounds weird, but uh, that that's that's my own personal taste as well. But yeah, it's 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 a weird thought exercise <laughs> to sit down and have to have to rank everything.
0: It's it's, it's that kind of influence that GTA has that even you can go into a series and find a game that, for the lack of a better term, just Suits you best in terms of style, in terms of the world, in terms of the story it's trying to tell you. I think that's kind of what makes GTA so unique, and and mm. and 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 that, and that it's not just it telling you its own story. You can go in and make your own story in, in a way, to an extent. Anyways, that's just kind of grown and gotten bigger uh, with each installment up until and now, GTA Five. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I think the the player story stuff is is almost better than the actual story stuff. I mean, as well, like there's a not sure if you've seen it. But there's a series on Kotaku called Highlight Reel. Uh, and they've like they've been like ever since GTA five has come out, like nearly every episode there's a there's a clip from GTA five in there of someone just doing something really ridiculous and fun. And it's like even what two, three years in, there's still like really, really great, interesting stories coming out of that, which is amazing.
0: Is there any more honorable mentions you want for one?
1: I think those are the big ones. Like I'm thinking through um i'm thinking through the stuff i used to say in that top five list uh link to the past was on there for a while but uh that kind of fell off early not because i didn't like it but because i uh uh, i i realized i like i love zelda games but i realize i don't love love like crazy playthrough zelda games uh like most people uh I actually hadn't seen through the entirety of Twilight Princess until the, the HD version came out, and I watched, uh, I watched Panzer play through that, and that was... like That was one of those games that I kind of wish I'd I'd, uh, I'd uh, sort of battled through those first super bland two or three hours to go to the rest of the game, because it's kind of crazy how great like the rest of Twilight Princess is, but it's just blockaded off by this super laborious, herd the sheep or whatever kind of stuff. Um... But yeah, I like I think Link's a while uh F0 obviously is a I love F0 and like I I play racing games but I'm not a good racing game person. Like I I, I wouldn't be able to I I I, have, I own Forza for example, but I I play with like most of the assists on. Uh, whereas F0 I felt there's something about how the SNES version and even the N64 version are balanced that makes it super accessible but also still maintains a skill curve to learn and get better about um and the other reason like one of the reasons i had it on my top five for a while is i was super into it uh in australia and we had the uh we had the pal version in australia and then we had an american exchange student come who completely trashed all my times and I literally a decade of like it was the first like weeks of like trying to get my my mute city time down from like 49 down to like 36 or whatever he'd showed me uh, and I spent so much time on that and I like I'm pretty sure I nailed the perfect line for that multiple times uh, and it wasn't until I got into game dev and realized the you know the 50 hertz 60 hertz difference between NTSC and PAL that I realized that he was playing on the NTSC version and his version was faster and that if we'd played on the same console I would have absolutely demolished him. And it's it's like... You know, I don't have many life regrets, but if I could go back in time and just play hardware to hardware with this guy... Oh! Oh! I could have, I could have been such a success in junior school. Uh, but uh, yeah, F-Zero has a special place in my heart as well.
0: Top three games ever, what would they be? Obviously, World Games at the top. How would you rank the rest of the top three?
1: Top three? Yeah, World Games at the top. And then... I'd put Kerbal in there. And then the third slot would have to be I was really gonna say GTA three, but I think the more I talk about this out loud, I probably would put Vice City in that slot. Uh if I didn't put in Super Mario World. I would have to fight it out between Vice City and Super Mario World for the hmm. uh, for the third slot.
0: Hmm. That'd be a weird where the
1: hmm Yeah, that's like I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to see if I can just like not do a cop out and like try and figure out what the third slot would be, but like I feel like those are maybe Vice City gets the edge, Ooh. and I feel really, really bad saying that about one of the most definitive design-driven games of all time. But so is Vice City, and I would still go back and play Vice City more than i would go back and play super mario world even though it's such a great game hmm. Hmm. fair enough ah oh, ah right? oh, this is so mean <laughs>
2: that's me <laughs>
0: Can I play robot a hundred foot robot golf? No. Can you let me play it now, please?
1: Um well we're it's actually showing it indicate east at the moment. So like if you can if you can fly over in the next eighteen hours, you could probably jump on. But I wanna uh,
0: play it. now in a second. I I can't you know, fly over I <laughs> wanna play it no. No, Dan, let me play it now. Let me play it no.
1: You have no idea how happy I would be if the game was done right now and I could just it doesn't get it out have, to everyone's.
0: You just like, you <laughs> just send me a build, right now. Just like I'm fine with that
1: that's actually one of the things that's been a little a little tricky for us is uh so we're we're shipping 100 foot robot golf on, on PlayStation 4 first and it's uh it's weird being in a situation where we can't actually give builds to people uh because like it's not like a steam thing where we can just like push off a build and like hey you, everyone's got a pc it's like have you got a ps4 dev kit flashed to this specific revision uh we can, because when we can give you a package then but yeah it's kind of like this It's like step back into like the old like AAA kind of reviewer thing of like which reviewers have test kits and which reviewers don't and which ones do we have to wait for the for the master. And uh, so it's been it's been one of those things where we've been pulling we've been kind of leaning more on pulling people in and seeing how people react at conventions than sending builds out, uh, which I like a lot better because I can actually see how people react. But at the same time like that, that whole like playtesting and like seeing people play thing is even with a game like especially especially with a game like one hundred foot robot golf where we'll sit we'll sit four people down to play and they'll I'll watch them have an amazing time and I'll be frustrated because they haven't pulled up anything like super vitally broken. And i am like, <laughs> This this is infuriating. I need you not to have a good time so I can fix the things that I know have to be broken in here somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a fun game. You should play it sometime.
0: I want to play it now, but, <laughs> um, tell me this, are all the pilots in the game corgis? I want all the pilots in the game to be corgis.
1: I am sorry, but we have, we have humans as well as, as corgis in our pilot roster. All right. You, but,
0: all right. You've lost me just whatever.
1: Yeah. I'm sorry. But you, can, you can just play the, the, uh, the corgi robot. We actually got the concept in for that, uh, uh, pretty recently, and it's really, really cool. I uh, I cannot wait to share that concept because we uh, we've had a, lo- a long time like trying to figure out like our cool robot concepts, and we have we been we showed off Vani, which is like the we call it the Beyonce of robot golf. <laughs> this. It's like this this gold robot with like this fake YSL leather pattern across her shoulders, and this eagle on the shoulder, and like this super regal like expensive robot, and we have um. We have some Evangelion-inspired, like, bioengineered robots that have been grown for the express purpose of playing golf. Uh, and we have some, like, Jaegers and things like that. And we're like, we have this dog. We've promised a dog from the trailer. We have to do a dog, which we're fine with. But it was like, how how do we do a dog robot when we only have, like, bipedal uh, rigging and animations and skeleton? Because we're only, we're only two people making this game, so we don't have a full-time animator to, like... You know, build a, a four legged rig and animate separate stuff and thing like that, so it's like how do we build a robot for this that isn't a huge cop out so we were we were going back and forth on this for a while and uh just recently we 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 basically gave this problem to uh this guy called Bysol Jones, who is an absolutely amazing concept artist he's been doing all of our robot concepts and uh he sent us he sent us this robot, which I'm not going to spoil, but it's so cool that I'm pretty sure you'll see it soon but it's just like the most amazing solution to how you get, like, dogs in a pilot suit to pilot a robot, and it's... I, I hate being that person who's like, well, man, wait till you see this thing I can't talk about, but, man, it is really cool.
0: God damn it, stop teasing me like this. <laughs> it, it's actually hurting me right now. <laughs> um. So, yeah, all seriousness, I'm like... How did the initial idea for Robot Golf came about? It came about like just yeah, like, kind of first come. About. So uh,
1: So this whole idea actually uh, actually came from Panzer, who's the uh, who's the co-founder with me at the Goblin, uh, and we were, we'd finished Roundabout. We were working on uh, the console ports of Roundabout while we were ramping up uh, next game, and we had we had a couple of ideas that we might come back to, uh, but none of them were like they were they were good ideas, but they weren't that like you you see it, and you're like yes, this is the one. And so we were trying messing around trying to find what that idea was, and uh, Panzer does a bunch of Let's Plays as well. She's just uh, finishing up a Life is Strange Let's Play right now.
0: I'm going to and, check that out because I love Life is Strange.
1: Yeah, she's doing a really good one. She did a, a Saints Row uh, Let's Play, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Uh, but uh, she went and joined a uh, a Let's Play of Neo Turf Masters, uh, which is it's a golf game. It's an okay golf game. Uh, it's a little dry. Like it's It's like... If you are if you're, if you're LPing a game like you kind of want like lots of interesting things to pull from to commentate on and you know a 900 golf game is kind of just kind of struggling for things to pull from to talk through and so uh, they were playing through this game and all of the courses are like super wide and long and there's like a waterfall but it, it feels very empty and uh, one of the people in the LP was like man I really wish just like a mech would come out of that waterfall. I was like, I wish I was just a, a mech golf game where I could play, um, right. I could play golf as a mech and, uh, like everyone jokes like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's going to be an no goblin game. Then, you know, it's a goofy robot golf thing. Uh, and so they finished that LP and we actually have the clip of that on, in our press kit. Uh, and the pants finished the LP and then like it sat for a day or two. And then she was like, maybe, maybe we should make Gundam golf. Because that was, like, the nickname that came up with it in the in the, in the LP. And I was like, no, that's a terrible... No, we're not, I'm not making a golf game. This is going to be terrible. And then it's just one of those ideas that just, like, it sticks in your head for a couple of days. You like, wait, this could be really, really, really cool. <laughs> and so we started prototyping it and, like, from very, very early on, it was just ridiculously fun. Like, because you'd have, like, part of it is that there haven't really been any good, fun golf games for a while. Like, uh... Power Star Golf was okay, but it's micro tra- transactions everywhere. Rory McIlroy Golf is um, super, super serious, and like you have your just your eighteen clubs to do something. But there hasn't been like a a good fun golf game in a while, and so building that for a start, and then putting in all of the fun stuff you can do with a robot, like knocking down buildings and doing destruction, uh, it kind of opened up like all of these really fun uh like multiplayer and single player ideas that you could do around the game of golf um actually kind of reminds me of uh of the the X, there was a, there was an xcom discussion with jake solomon who was uh, the lead on on the on the remastered sorry remastered on the on the new version of xcom uh, where he was like yeah we basically built xcom and it was boring and then we started just pulling it apart and like making it fun for a modern audience and that became the new xcom And it was kind of a similar process, but with a fun game to start with. Like, we we built a fun game of golf, and then uh, originally it was turn-based because that's what golf games are like. Uh, And then at some point, we're like, why don't we just take out the turns and just make it split-screen? And so we we did a split-screen build, and this instantly, it just, like, everything clicked in a way that is very unnerving if you're a designer, because it's, like, when you first get, like, when you first think you're on the right path, you're like, this is the right path. But here are the 12 things I need to fix or add to make this, like, to make this, like, continue on this path. And we played we played two-player split-screen for the first time, and it was a moment where we were like, holy crap, this is fun as is, and I wouldn't change the tuning on, like, three-quarters of the things of this. This is amazing. It's like a playtest thing. It's like, this is amazing. What are we missing here? like, what are we missing here that could make it even more amazing if this is how amazing it is at 0.1? Uh And so that's kind of, that's kind of been us for, like, the last, like, 12 months, we got a couple of months to go, is that we've been going through and just building on that base and uh, adding, like, adding things.
0: We Like, I asked you earlier as well about the elevator pitch of um, World Games, and, like, you, you could go into detail, like, with World Games, whereas with the title for Robot Golf, it's just that's the elevator pitch right there. It's That's in it. the title.
1: It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. And it's like the thing that, like, we came out of Roundabout uh, when we, were, like, we did a postmortem, like, just with Panzer and I we were like, what are the things we want to fix for our next game? And one thing was polish, uh, because obviously, Roundabout was our first, our first game as, as solo, de- as, uh, like, you know, small developers. And so, like, we want to figure out, figure out a way to, like, add more polish to the game and positioning, which was a big thing for us, especially coming off, like, working, making games for other people, is you don't really think about how you position in the marketplace as well as you do when your entire, you know, housing and food and everything depends on it. It's uh, so, like, we need to we need to position better than Roundabout, which was a spinning limousine in the 70s with FMV and a talking skeleton, which is like, it's just, it turns into word salad at some point. Uh, and so with 100-foot robot golf, it's 100-foot robots playing golf. That's, that's, the, that's the positioning right there. Like that's, that's our entire game. I don't need you to know what Kur curr curr is to know about this game. And it's, it's absolutely wonderful uh, to be able to just say, we're making 100-foot robot golf and have people know exactly what your game is about. <laughs>
0: Like, just just mentioning, like we're making a game called Hundred Foot Robot Golf, and it's a first person shooter. No, it's not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I am sad though, because uh, like we we wouldn't name the game this, but like there's a preview that went up uh, recently that said it was. Uh like someone's like release the golf hounds and like man if we'd called it golf hounds that would have been a really clever play on chrome hounds and it would have been great but like that that's like that no 100 foot robot golf it's the perfect name we it must not be touched
0: <laughs> when you say when you put it like that there release the golf hounds all i could think of was mr burns saying release the hounds oh yes <laughs> the fingers just instead saying release the golf hounds
1: <laughs> Coming up with gold story ideas. here. I still have to finish the script, so uh, then they may actually just sneak in now.
0: <laughs> that you can have that one, but for a price.
1: Oh boy, this is this how it starts. <laughs> this, is, this is how it starts exactly. This this
0: may be my foot in the door
1: in terms of <laughs> uh. Addition, add, additional writing. Bye. Uh, but yeah, like it's it's been it been one of those surreal things where we like I. Like we knew, we know this game is going to be fun. Like we've 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 played it ourselves; it's fun. We see people playing it; it's fun. And that's that's it's weird. That may sound weird to say, but that's a super rare thing when making games because usually, usually it's not until like the last chunk where everything comes together and and fits into like a cohesive package. Uh, but it's been super surreal, like having this like LP joke idea turn into a game we're making. Then we we pitch to Sony, and Sony's on board with it, and brings us on and like announces this PlayStation experience and then there's a huge crowd reaction to it that we weren't expecting and uh like we were at a party the other day and someone was introducing us like oh this is uh you know Dan and Panzer. They work at No Goblins like, Oh and it's, like they uh they released lots, they released Roundabout and it's like, Oh cool, I'll have to I have to check it out. And they're working on one hundred foot Robot Golf right now. Oh wow I love this I love the trailer for that game. it's really cool. <laughs> it's like oh oh God we haven't even released the game yet. I don't know if- I don't, this is it either going to be like this amazing huge explosion or like the biggest disappointment to a whole bunch of people, <laughs> but yeah, knock on wood, I, I think it's, I think it's going to be good.
0: To be fair, it's, it's probably, I, um, the Twitter reaction was just unreal, at least going from who I was following at the time of the announcement. It was just, like, i bear, like, I had a lot of internet problems that day, like the, mm-hmm. like the, like Park just kept going out and like just like stop going out and I just about tuned in in time to see the trailer, and I was just Twitter was going nuts and it was, it yeah, was, that, it,
1: it was insane. It was, it was easily the the craziest launch of a game I've been involved in i it's just like we were we were in the audience for that, and at the time we didn't know if we were going to make the cut of it because like the whole way is like we want to put you into this thing. Uh, you have these five, you know, milestones. You have to clear every time. You have to clear every milestone to make it in. You're still tentative about whether you're going to make it in or not. So we're we're sitting in the audience next to our Sony rep, like looking at the teleprompter every like thirty seconds, like is this us? Are we going to be up next? Did we make it in? Uh, and then yeah, we made it in. Like, oh, that's a relief. We made it in. We get to see a logo on a huge screen, and then the trail plays, and everyone's like, you don't hear it in the video, but everyone is like applauding and cheering and like. Like robot goes in for a swing or like a melee attack, and everyone just like starts cheering again, and it was just like it was surreal. It was it was incredibly surreal. And like because I'm an idiot, I'm like okay, I can push out like the Twitter announce and the other stuff from my phone once the thing gets announced. Like it should be fine. Like we have a friend, we had a friend handle our website push, but it's like I can I'll I'll save the tweets in my drafts and you know, push them out after the thing goes through. It'll be fine. And I'm sitting there afterwards, and my hands is just shaking, and I'm just trying to type. I'm just trying to type, uh, next game is 100 foot robot golf. And I'm just like shaking on this phone in this dark auditorium trying to push this tweet out. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. (laughs)
0: Um, so you mentioned the fact that the work title was kind of Gundam golf, but also as well, in all of our interviews, like, um, and that, and I can never pronounce this as well. Evangelion. There we go. Um, was mentioned as an influence like is there any other influences in terms of robot design going on it like please for the love of god as someone who loves this series please say zone of the Enders was an influence
1: there is some zone of ender's influence yes. especially, especially in the ui that we have right now like i tried to pull a lot from that like almost like kojima style uh like ui design uh and so there's a there's a little bit of that in the in the ui that's going around right now uh, but we yeah, we have like our main touch points for the robots is yeah, it's the the rich team the the Eva team uh, The Jaeger team uh, and then we have uh, this other team, but we're still trying to find a name for but it's basically It's like a it's like a oh, Sorry to describe this. It's like a gearheady motorhead thing of like flames and and like chrome and like things like that that's really cool. And then we, we have some, some other surprises coming later, but uh it's been really cool just just having cool robots come in as part of your job. It's like, this is awesome. I feel like I I've chosen the right path in my in my career that I can I can contract out someone to make really cool robots for us and that's it's 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 good. It's it's good as a as a mid thirties man to be able to have cool robots made for you. <laughs>
0: Um, you need to make a chatootie. You need to make a chatootie. I need a chatootie. If like <laughs> if Kojima is not doing his only enders free anymore, then this is the closest I'm going to get his only enders free. Damn it!
1: Well, Kojima's free right now. Like if he wants to like partner up with us, like I'll happily put one of his robots in if he want if he's uh, if he wants to figure out a, a, a non Konami infringing way to uh, to work with us. But uh, I'm pretty sure he's. Uh, he is busy right now. I am sure.
0: <laughs> uh, ended up on uh, Rubble Goffland. Like, when exactly can we expect uh, it to come out? Like, obviously you said two thousand sixteen. Like, when specifically?
1: Uh, sometime in the months of two thousand sixteen. Uh, oh. <laughs> like, we're we're actually still working on what the release date is. Uh, I it won't be this month. That's for sure. Uh, I we're, we're still working it out. Like we. Uh, we're obviously we're a PlayStation VR title like we don't even know when the PlayStation VR is coming out I think like to be completely blunt on our end it's like we're going to wait for E3 we're going to see when all the release dates come out and then once E3 is done we're basically going to take a look at like the release schedule for every other game coming out in 2016 and then try and find like when is the best date for us to release this game like it may be yeah, it may be the thing is like oh there's a there's a window in early October that's perfect for us or like Maybe going in and and doing a PlayStation VR same day launch might be good, but like we honestly don't know yet. Like it's one of those things where, and we did the same thing with Roundabout as well. Like we 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 had a rough idea, but until E three had happened and until we could find, uh, I think it was September eighteen for Roundabout. Like there was just a big hole in the schedule there because everyone had moved out of the way for Destiny. And we're like okay, well we're gonna take advantage of that and take that September eighteen date, and we'll be like the only game. Of note, hopefully coming out that that week, and uh, it kind of worked well for us. So we're going to try and hopefully do that again. Mm. Not, on, not 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 I'm not guaranteeing September 18th because who knows <laughs> when the games go out? But like we'll we'll try and we'll 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 survive E3, and then we'll uh, we'll pick a date.
0: Um, actually, I do have one more question about uh, rubble Golf. Um, <laughs> could I put a VR headset on a similar sized dog, similar to a corgi, namely my Westy and have him play the game? That's a
1: Good question. Um, I think anything like that What's that like thirty pounds, thirty-five pounds. in um, them heads might be too small. Um, like the biggest problem with VR is that like for kids and stuff, like under twelve, like the pupil distance and stuff like that is is not correct for a VR. Um, maybe a bigger dog. If you if you were thinking of getting like a really big like I don't know Saint Bernard or something, you could probably get a vr helmet on them uh and then basically all your dreams would come true as far as i know
0: Hmm. okay (laughs) (laughs) sir you can't possibly be considering activating project c i'm telling you there's no way
2: look at her we're out of time prepare the other pilot Thank you.
1: So many things, yeah. So obviously, Hundred Foot Robot Golf uh, coming out later this year on PlayStation Four and PlayStation VR. Uh, roundabout, our first game is available. We're all good games are sold digitally, so Steam, uh, PS4, Xbox One, Humble. Um, we also do this thing called the uh, the Men of Game Development Calendar, which is twelve very very hunky and well well game dev men in a in a very tasteful calendar that we put out every year we have the 2016 calendar available at men of game dev uh uh and we're going to slowly be ramping up our 2017 stuff soon so uh stay tuned to Menofgamedev.com. uh what else can i promote oh we have sage club as well which is uh we do extra life every year uh in early november where we raise money for seattle children's hospital by playing the absolute most terrible games uh, we did uh, every Army Men game in a row uh, for 25 hours uh, we did the worst Metacritic games uh, in 2014 where we played like, the bottom 48 games from Metacritic uh, that was terrible uh, and last year we did um, what did we do, worst of the best uh, which is basically we went to some of the best franchises and played the worst games from those franchises so like Mortal Kombat Special Ops for example Uh and so we've raised about $20,000 for the Seattle Children's Hospital so far, which is absolutely astounding. Uh, and we're going to start ramping that up in the next few months as well. So uh, even if you, uh, if you don't like hunky game dev men and the idea of uh, playing as a 100-foot robot doesn't playing golf doesn't really appeal to you, at least tune in in early November and uh, donate money to kids. That'd be awesome. I'm Delicious Bees on Twitter, and our co-founder Panzer is uh, Panzerskank on Twitter. Uh, and then we have NoGoblin.com com i 'm pretty sure we still have a Facebook page uh, and yeah 100 foot robot golf on twitter we'll, we, uh, we post all of our sort of in development stuff and uh, pictures and cool stories and stuff on there, so uh, check that out. <laughs>
0: Listening to my favorite game next week, Alexa Ray Korea on Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Until next week, bye bye.